Now let's open the Word together. We are, of course, in John 16 if you want to find your way there. Right at the end of John 16, we're getting ready to move in two weeks to Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. That's some holy ground. That's a passage you ought to be reading ahead on and thinking about. But right at the end here, John 16, 25-33, is the very final note of what is called Jesus' farewell address. His, his final piece of instruction to His disciples before He goes to the cross. And so, Father, now open Your Word. Let us hear it and be changed by the renewing of our minds. In Jesus we pray. John 16, verse 25, Jesus says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in My name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I've come into the world. And now I'm leaving the Father. I'm leaving the world. I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each of you to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what is the goal of Jesus in what He's telling them here? And I mean the whole statement there. What does He want to happen in the hearts of His disciples as He is giving them this instruction? Do you, do you see it? He wants to encourage them to stand firm in Him no matter what troubles the present world is about to throw at them. But look at those words, take heart. It's one word in Greek, it's a word that means to be courageous, to have courage. So why do they need to have courage? Well, Because he's just been telling them that all hell is about to break loose against them. And I mean that quite literally, I'm using that word correctly. Because things are about to get really, really hard for them. You remember how he'd warned them. Just for us, it's been a few weeks ago. For them, it was just a few moments ago. When he said in John 15, 18 and 19, if the world hates you, and it does, he means, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Or chapter 16, verse 1, he says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think that he is offering service 
to God. And so the lines of conflict have been drawn. Faithfulness to Jesus comes at a price. It will be true for them. It will also be true for us. And and so Jesus is speaking to us here just as surely as He was speaking to them. And so listen to Him again. The, The final verse, verse 33, I've said these things to you that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Be courageous. For I have overcome the world. Now, let's unpack that and see how Jesus intends to give us the courage we need to stand in a world that's full of trouble. The first thing He instructs us here is the fact that courage, this courage we're talking about, comes in knowing that you have direct access to God through prayer. Look at it there in verse 26. He says, In that day... You will ask, um, in that day, you will ask in my name, meaning you'll pray. I don't say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you. You will ask, you will pray, He says, in that day when this all begins to happen. Okay, let's back up one verse though, because He says something else that we need to hear, at least to, to see what He's talking about. Verse 25 before he goes back to the subject of prayer, he says, said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, think back over the last few weeks. Up to now, his teaching has been filled with figurative speech. He's told them about vines and branches and women in labor. And he used those words last time in a little while, which completely confused them. And he says, up to now, there's been a lot of that kind of thing. But very soon, the hour is coming when I'm going to make it all plain to you. The hour is coming. Remember, the hour, the hour throughout John's Gospel always points to the same thing. It points to the coming death and resurrection of Jesus. It points to the cross and everything that follows from it. And he says that hour is almost upon them. Very soon, Jesus will die, be buried, and rise again. And that's going to change everything. Starting there, he says, it's all going to begin to make sense to you, finally. I'm going to come and I'm going to explain it to you clearly. And if you know the Gospel, you know that He will do that. After the resurrection, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to come and going to spend 40 days with His disciples, strengthening their faith, explaining it to them, laying it out for them, so that everything for them is going to change with the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's all going to change for them. By the way, it's all changed for us too. And so He's building on that hour that's coming when He says, verse 26 and 27 again, in that day... You will ask in my name. I don't say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you. Now, He's taking us back to this theme of courage, or at least tipping His hand toward it. Notice what He's telling us. After Jesus rises from the dead, the disciples will be given a direct access to God through prayer. Remember, that's what he was talking about last time. Can you go back last week, right at the end, verse uh, 23 and 24? 
the subject had been prayer. So he really hasn't left that subject. Verse 23, in that day. Again, what day? That coming moment, death, resurrection, everything changes. In that day, you'll ask nothing of me, because I'm not going to be standing here anymore. Truly, truly, I say though, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name, but ask and it will, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. So again, you've got to think of the sea change that's coming here. Up to this point, they, they had Jesus right there with them. If they had any questions to ask, all they had to do was turn and He's standing right there and they could ask Him. But very soon, He's going to be gone. Now what are they going to do? Well, that's what's got to be going through their minds. How do we go on? You're talking about leaving. How do we go on from here? And of course, listen, you and me, Christian today, this is where we live. Right? There's no place on this planet you can go to sit down, have coffee with Jesus in a face-to-face conversation and ask Him about something. So what do you do as a Christian now? What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're confused? What do you do when you're under pressure and life's too much? Are you just on your own now? You see, that's what He wants them to understand. These words are meant to encourage us and give us hope in our present situation. So, so where do you go then when you need help and Jesus isn't sitting there in the flesh to give it to you audibly and visibly? What do you do? Well, that's what He's telling them. You go to the Father in His name through the door Christ has opened up for you and you take hold of His promise through prayer to get what you need. That's all over the New Testament. Hebrews 4.16 we saw last week says, Let us then, speaking now because Christ has risen, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. This is what Jesus is talking about, our access to the Father. I mean, look at it again, verse 26. In that day, after my death and resurrection, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father for you because the Father Himself loves you. So second thing here, thinking about how we have courage, if you're in Christ by faith, you have now been authorized by Jesus to go directly to the Father in His name. You don't need a priest. You don't even need a preacher. You go in His name. Now, that doesn't mean you just tag that on the end of the prayer, right? In Jesus' name, Amen. That's not what it's saying. This is the giving of an assurance that you can come and pray and be heard yourself to receive what you need if you're in Jesus. Jesus says, I'm authorizing you to go directly to the Father with your needs and lay them before Him with confidence that you will be heard. Oh, dear Christian, this is such a great privilege. I want us to to, to understand that. That this is such a great hope and a great necessity. You and I in our times of need, really all of our times, but here specifically talking about our need, can go to the Father directly in prayer. I mean, Notice that again. Verse 26. I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. It's not just that Jesus will go and ask the Father for you, as wonderful as that is, right? Because He does do that, doesn't He? 
Hebrews 7 other places talk about Him always interceding for us. And so there's great comfort in that. Right now, this moment, Jesus is lifting your need to the Father. Jesus represents you before the Father. His wounds represent your cleansing. His resurrection represents the victory you need. He's there in the Father's presence. That is wonderful. That is our anchor. That is our everything. But He's telling us here this is even more. Jesus does more than just pray for us. He takes us by the hand and leads us into the Father's presence ourselves. See, it's not like we know the Father's angry at us. He's upset at us. So, so we have to send a note through Jesus and just hope it gets through to the Father. No, we've been reconciled to the Father through the Son so that we now get to go as daughters and sons and be received ourselves and make our needs known. That is the great privilege that is ours through prayer. So that third, through Christ, we now know that as we come in the door that Christ has opened for us, we walk right into the loving, welcoming arms of our Father who Jesus has reconciled us to. You ought to shout and dance a little bit there. Verse 26. Again, I'm not saying that you that I'll go and ask the Father for you, for the Father Himself loves you. What's that song say? Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Think of this. If you're a child of God by faith in Christ, what does Jesus tell you you can know? The Father Himself loves you. Oh, there is such a warmth here for you as a Christian. The word used for love there is the is not the word agape you would expect. It's actually the the, the, the word phileo, which, which which tends to point that they, they can be interchangeable, but it tends to point to to the warmth of a friendship, to the to, to a sense of a companionship. The warmth of a welcome. It it pictures a closeness and a relationship. It's it's the kind of welcome you give a friend when they show up at your door. And so again, you don't need a priest. You certainly don't need to go back door through Mary, as some would teach. Or get someone else to carry a note in for you to the Father. You as a believer can understand He Himself loves you, is standing at the door, opening it to you, saying, come on in, unburden your heart. I am so ready to hear. That is the confidence we have in coming through Christ. Which brings us to the fourth thing. Look what Jesus says in verse 27. He goes on and says, For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and believe that I came from God. Here's the question. To whom does God give this warm welcome? Who has this confidence that they can come in? Those who love Me and believe that I came from the Father. That's the definition of a Christian. What is a Christian? Someone who believes the Gospel about Jesus and therefore in light of that Gospel loves Jesus. And it is that love for Jesus that He has put in your heart that assures you that you have the kind of access He's talking about here. No, this is not saying you have to earn access to God by working up some feeling of love. No, no, no. This is something you get through the Gospel, through the new birth. If you've been born again by grace to become a person with new life through faith, the evidence of that new life, you know, the, the, the beating heart that shows that that life is there, is that you will love Jesus. And that love for Jesus existing in you gives you confidence to come boldly. I don't ask... 
I don't say that I myself will go for you, for the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and believe that I came from God. So who's this promise for? Who, who gets this kind of confidence? It's for believers in Christ. It's for those who love the Savior. There's the question, do you love the Savior? Do you love Him? Has He opened your heart to believe? And that belief is the kind that, that brings this love. and it's, 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 it's that love residing in you that He has given you that provides the boldness to go enter into God's presence with absolute confidence that you're going to be heard and that the need that you have will be met. And again, we're talking about needs, not greeds. We're talking about a life that is, that is being shaped by Christ. But, but notice this love, this new birth gives you something else as well that goes with it. It gives you a willing heart of obedience. We talked about this a few weeks ago. John 14, uh, verse 23. Jesus said, If anyone loves Me, he'll keep My word. My Father will love him, and we'll come and make our home with him. And so you kind of put all this together. If you belong to Christ, you will love Him. And if you love Him, you will want to obey Him. And because you love Him, you'll come with boldness and pray. So, so you can't live in open rebellion against Christ. You can't look at His Word and say, I'm not going to do that and think your prayers are going to be answered because it just doesn't work that way. And those who consistently refuse to obey Christ simply don't belong to Christ. But if you do belong to Christ... You're going to love Him. And that love existing in your heart moves you toward Christ and gives you a confidence of access. And the whole point of this is this. Christian, be encouraged by that. Let that bring you often into His presence to plead your need, to cry out in, your, in, 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 in what you need to walk with Him, knowing He's going to give it. So there's the first thing. The first thing we need to have, we need to know to have this confidence, he's talking about this courage, is that we indeed do have direct access to God through prayer. Use it. Second thing here, he also tells us though, a bit of a warning, that that courage that he's talking about here is not the same as confidence in self. It's not self-confidence. It's not looking down in myself and saying, i got this. Notice that. First of all, just, just notice in verse 28 that, that Jesus immediately points them away from themselves to Him and what He's done. Verse 28, He says, I came from the Father and I have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Now look at that. It's a little, bit of a, it's a little statement of faith. What does that verse tell the disciples to do? Doesn't tell them to do anything whatsoever, does it? What does it say about them? Doesn't say anything about them. Because you see, it's not about them. It's about Him. And, and you have to keep that in mind. When we're talking about the Gospel, it's not about you and what you can do. It's not about you keeping a law. It's not about me and, and, and my virtue. It's about Christ. And so what Jesus does here is give them this brief summary of the Gospel and reminds them of these four critical things, these four movements that, that are at the heart of the Gospel. First, He says, I came from the Father. Literally, I came forth from the Father. This is a statement of His divine origin, His eternal origin. John 1, 1 and 2, this Gospel began, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who is Jesus? He is God the Son. He came forth from the Father. 
And then he says, I have come into the world. Now what's that? That's the incarnation. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now he says, I am leaving the world. Meaning what? Well, Meaning by way of the cross. All he's been preparing them for. I'm about to leave you. Uh, John 14.19 In a little while, the world will see me no more. Why? Because he'll be crucified and buried and out of their sight. And then he'll rise from that grave. So that forth... I'm going back to the Father. Christ will rise again, ascend to the Father's right hand, from whence He will reign. Right? Philippians 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. That's the Gospel in a nutshell. That's what you and I must believe to be saved. Do you believe? This is who Christ is, the One who came, was incarnated, died on the cross for sins, rose on the third day, and is now seated at the Father's right hand. And it is, it, it is confidence in this gospel that gives you boldness to enter God's presence. Not confidence in yourself. Not confidence in you. But confidence in Him. Now, watch what happens next. And this, this, is, where, this is where we need to get instructed. Watch what happens next. Verse 29. Jesus just said that. And his disciples respond, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative language. Now we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that that you came from God. Now, can you hear their their sense of self-confidence in that? That's what I want to draw your attention to. What are they focused on in that statement? They're focused on their own understanding. Oh, now we get it. We know. We believe. Now, it's couched in very pious terms, but they're really convinced they figured it out. And, and, and yeah, it's true. A little light bulb has come on here, but what they can't yet see is how dim that little light bulb is. They are confessing truth, but they have no idea how little of that truth they've really gotten hold of. Oh, we get it now. We get it. You're coming in loud and clear, Jesus. We now see who you are. We got this. Now, to give credit where credit is due, they have gotten hold of a little truth here. They've recognized, for instance, Christ's deity. He's the one who knows all things. Well, as good Jewish boys, they know the only one who knows all things is God. So they've made that connection. They've also realized that he doesn't need their help. He he doesn't need an assistant raising the right questions for him. So so it is a good start. They've begun to see some truth about Jesus. But do you see where they fall short? That little bit of doctrinal knowledge they've gotten hold of has led them to the false confidence that they are far more mature than they really are. They think... They're ready to stand on their own when they are not. You know, you see this a lot. Especially in circles like ours where we value doctrine and truth and knowledge of Scripture. And so for people like us, it becomes really easy to think that once you've gotten a little truth under your belt, that's maturity. 
That that, that that makes you ready because because you can talk about the doctrine of election and the two natures of Christ and the attributes of God. That that somehow having that doctrine down convinces you that you've got this Christianity thing down. You're mature now. Now, does doctrine matter? Oh yes. Truth is essential for growth in Christ, but the two are not the same thing. Because if your doctrine doesn't lead you to Christ, if it doesn't put you at His feet and provoke in you a greater love and dependence upon you, if it leads you to a self-confidence rather than a Christ-confidence, you have entirely missed the point. See, here's the thing. Doctrine is the foundation upon which Christian maturity is built. But it is not the same thing as maturity. Truth, doctrine is important. I mean, you got to have it to grow. You got to know who Christ is. You got to know His Word and know His ways. Doctrine is the foundation of that house, but it's not the house itself. Christian maturity comes as you begin to digest that truth and live that truth in such a way that it begins to shape your life and your heart and your mind in every way. And the disciples are not there yet. They got some truth. But that truth, well, we could say it doesn't have them yet. It hasn't worked its way down into their lives. For for them, it's still about what they think they know, not about who they are becoming in Christ. And so he says, verse 31, Do you now believe? Do you? And then he hits them really hard in verse 31. Verse 32, Behold, hours coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each one of you to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Do you see, first of all, that it is a rebuke? Really, he says? You think you got this now? You think this is all there is to it? Just, just get a little truth, you know, have it in your head. You'll be fine. Go to church. Take notes. It's all there is to it. No, no. He says, I'm going to show you just how little you understand. Head faith will not prepare you for what's coming. Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will scatter like scared sheep, each one of you to your home, and you will leave me alone. It's a wake-up call. You think you're ready to stand because you've understood some things. But Peter, James, John, it's about to get real. The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. Remember again, that hour, what is the hour? That hour means that the suffering that's about to break loose against them when Jesus goes to the cross. Maybe maybe He can hear the footsteps of Judas and the soldiers making their way through Jerusalem on their way to Gethsemane to arrest Him. But, But starting here, their faith and understanding are going to be tested in the flames of suffering. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. That is what suffering does. It tests you. Christian, it is one thing to claim to have faith. It is another to stand by faith when the pressure breaks out against you. When suffering crashes your life's 
party, that's when you find out just how real your faith really is. Mike Tyson, you know that great theologian, Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, they're about to get punched in the face and thrown to the mat and beaten to a pulp. And Jesus says, when that happens, you're all going to scatter like scared sheep. By the way, fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) And you're going to forget everything I've told you. You're going to forget all of your proud pronouncements. You're going to abandon me. And they will to a man. Mark 14.50 says when it happens, they all left him and fled. Yes, yeah, so much for their confidence. What did Peter said? Mark 14.31, if I must die, I will never deny you. And they all said the same. But they did. Listen, you have to rack reckon with your capacity for cowardice. You and I, we have to reckon with our capacity for cowardice. No matter how loudly you proclaim your faith when it's safe, the time will come when push comes to shove and your confidence, if it's in you, it'll fall apart. You'll give in to temptation. You'll refuse to speak the truth that needs to be said. You'll turn your back on Christ. You'll you'll fail to bear witness to Him. Some of you are remembering times of that right now. And listen, if your faith depends on your strength and knowledge in that moment, you'll find that it is a frail, feeble thing that will not hold. But when it fails, look to Christ. Because listen, He will not fail. And neither will the Father. In fact, listen to Jesus' own confidence. He says, every one of you, you're going to leave Me, yet I'm not alone for the Father is with me. The Father's right there. The Father will stand here. So the strength we need is not found in ourselves. It's found in Christ. It's not found in our knowledge, but in knowing Christ. In Christ alone. Which brings us into the third thing this morning. Understand then that courage comes in trusting Christ and His victory which He has won on the cross. Look at verse 33. And By the way, I used to teach from Missouri Baptist, right? I got to give assignments to my students. I'm giving you an assignment. Memorize this verse. You need this in your pocket. You need this in your mind. You're going to need it more and more. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Don't think because you failed it's over. Don't believe the lie that because your faith is weak you won't make it. Because, listen, there never was a moment when it depended on you to begin with. It's always depended on Christ. And when push comes to shove, run to Christ. Hold fast to Christ. Listen to Christ in His Word and believe what He promises. So look at this promise. You see, this is where your faith begins to develop legs. Several things we need to get hold of here. First of all, notice, He tells us there are two realms we live in as Christians as long as we are in this life on earth. There are two realms. We are in Christ, and yet we're also in this world. We're in this world physically, 
And at the same time, we exist in Christ spiritually. Two realms that we're a part of. Two worlds that we live in right now. And both of these realms are bringing something into our lives every day. So notice that, first of all, as Christians, he says, we who are believers, and speaking to Christians, we are in Christ. Now to be in Christ, that's the most common way the Bible talks about what a Christian is. To be in Christ means that you're trusting in Him. It means that you are listening to Him, that you're believing Him, you're obeying Him, you're learning to walk with Him in the new life that He's given you. It's the same thing we saw back in John 15 when we talked about abiding in Christ. Because you abide in Christ, you're drawing your life from Christ. Day by day, day you're, you're, you're drawing His character into your life. His reign, His joy and peace and love and patience, all of these things are making their way into you through your daily union with Him. That's what a Christian is. You live in Christ. But you are also living in this world. And this world is a world of suffering and pain and disappointment. Right? You do understand this, right? Salvation has not exempted you from the suffering that is a part of this world. Do you understand that, right? Listen, if you don't understand that, we need to talk today. Because if you don't understand that, you have been infected with some really bad teaching that is only going to lead to greater suffering and disappointment and maybe a denial of the faith down the road. No, no, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. So again, there are two realms and each of them is bringing something into your life. First, because you live in this world... What's it bringing, according to Jesus? What is this world bringing into your life? Tribulation. Verse 33, in this world you will have tribulation. It's a broken world. And for you, because you're in Christ, it's also a hostile world. It is a world where we will face pain, loss, sickness, disappointment, sorrow. This word tribulation is the same word we saw last week in verse 21 referring to the anguish of childbirth that a woman goes through. It's the Greek word thlipsis. It's a great word, by the way. T-H-L. Get your tongue around that. Thlipsis. And what it means is a personal experience of suffering, a personal grip of sorrow that presses in on you and squeezes you, persecution squeezing in from various sides. And Jesus says, that's what's going to happen here. That's what you're going to find in this world. So be ready for it. Right. So if you were hoping for a pleasant, untroubled life here on planet Earth, you're going to be very disappointed. In this world, there is tribulation. But, second, if you're in Christ, if you're alive in Christ, what's He bringing? In me, you will have peace. In me, oh no, let me read it correctly, you may have peace. May have, you will have tribulation. You may have peace. Why? Because it's not automatic. 
you got to be abiding in Christ to have this peace. He's not saying maybe it'll come, maybe it won't. But he says if you're not abiding in me, you're not going to touch with this peace. If you're not abiding in me, there's not going to be any peace because the peace is found in me. If you want this peace, you've got to be in me. You've got to be walking with me. You've got to have the peace that I give. First of all, peace with God, Romans 5.1. Peace within ourselves, John 14.27. Peace between brothers, Ephesians tells us. Peace as a gift of the Holy Spirit who is present in our lives and and working His way through our lives. Galatians 5.22 Peace in terms of confidence in God that, that He's got this. That He's working in our lives, fulfilling His promises, doing all that He said He would do on His way to bringing us safely home. And we rest in that as we rest in Christ. So while the war rages around us and the foes fight against us, we have peace by relying on the presence of Christ in our lives. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The peace is found in Christ. That's where prayer comes in. That's where daily walking with Christ comes in. That's where consciously looking to Him and trusting in Him in the middle of the storm comes in. Knowing Him as Prince of Peace. Obeying Him as King and Commander. Believing that He will give you courage to stand no matter what they throw at you. Because He is the Lord of Peace who gives peace in the midst of the storm. Don't have time to go there, but you remember the scene, right? On the ocean, on, on, on the Sea of Galilee, storm raging around them. They're, they're terrified. Jesus says what? Peace be still. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. Where's the peace come from? The Lord being with you and you being near Him. He's Lord of all. Lord of peace who gives us peace. Second, He is Lord of all who has conquered this broken world of sin by His death and resurrection. Now here's where it really gets good. Look at that last statement in verse 33. In Me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart! I have overcome the world. Take heart! It means be courageous, we said. Stand firm in confidence. Don't give up. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And so so when when you're beaten and bloodied by the world and you feel like giving in, Jesus says, Don't! But instead, lean hard on Me. Hold fast to Me. Draw near to Me. Why? Well, look at that last line. Look what Jesus tells us. Because He says, I have overcome the world. Not might overcome the world. Or I hope to overcome the world. Or one day may overcome the world if you help Me. No. It's what's called the perfect tense. I have overcome. It's done. 
I have, in fact, the word means I have conquered. It's the word Nike, where Nike gets its name from. It means victory. It means conquest. It means triumph. Christ has triumphed, meaning for us in Him, your sins are defeated. Now, I'm still struggling with them. Yeah, but He's beat them. Whatever you fear has been squashed. Death itself has no more power over you. Why? Because Christ is victorious. And every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is victor. And here's the really good news. We share in that victory. Friend, that's what the Gospel tells us. That's the Gospel. His victory has become ours through faith. Not through our efforts, but through faith. Through trusting in Him. We have this victory. We have this access. We have this confidence. We have this promise. In Christ who overcame, we overcome. John, same author that wrote this Gospel, writes in his letter of 1 John, much about this overcoming. I'll just read a couple of them to you. First John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. His victory is your victory because the One in you, Christ, is greater than anything this world can throw at you. First John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God, there's the new birth, we've come to Christ by faith, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Our victory is in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Then live it. Hold fast to Him this morning. And so Jesus invites you to the kind of faith that will give you courage to stand against this world and its tribulation. Not because you're confident in yourself, but because you're confident in Him. You believe Him. Because you believe Him first, you will pray. You will take your cares to Him because He cares for you. You will take your children to Him in prayer. You will take your brothers and sisters in prayer. You'll take the cares and the troubles of this world to Him in prayer. You'll lay them constantly at His feet, knowing that as you hand them off to Him, you don't have to worry about them anymore. You still have a task to do. You may still have you know, children raising, disciplining, all that stuff, but you're taking them, you're putting them in His hands. You, second, because you believe, you'll run to Him. Not from Him. Right When the world presses in, you won't run from Him. You'll run to Him. You'll, you'll seek to obey Him. And third, because you believe in Him, you'll trust in Him when He says He has overcome the world and His victory is yours. You'll believe Him. You'll believe that His death and resurrection have given you everything you need to stand firm against this world's devices. Revelation 12.11 says that we overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony about Jesus. Friend, where do you need to trust Him today? What sins do you need to turn from and confess and be done with? Not so you can earn His love, but because of His love, 
So, so you confess them to Him and you turn from them and you say, Lord, I'm going to keep turning to you until you, till that victory that is yours permeates everything I am. Friend, bring your cares to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, one of the big things about opening Your Word is for us to understand, first of all, who You are and what You've done. And second of all, who we are in light of what You've done. So help now, Lord. Help the believers here to see Christ's victory as theirs and to live in fellowship with You, taking their needs to You, yielding their lives to You, being shaped by Your presence to walk in the victory Christ gives them. When we fail, understand that we fail, but God never does. And so we run back to You in grace. Help the one here who is not a believer. And yet, You've stirred their heart and they want to be to believe the promise that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, rescued, made a child of God and given new life and given this victory that Christ has accomplished. And so by faith, we look to You in our need for Jesus' sake. Amen.